Welcome to an original series, the podcast celebrating our favorite TV shows behind the paywall. I'm Patch, one of your co-hosts, and with me celebrating the world of long-form storytelling is my friend and co-host, and hopefully someone not being taken over by a strange creature and has to use Morse code to talk to me, Adam. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. It's uh, for the... <laughs> For the listeners at home, it's been a short while since uh, our last episode, but we are excited to wrap up season two of Stranger Things here because uh, we have two episodes left. The penultimate and then the ultimate episode. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if the last episode is called the ultimate episode, but we can call it that because it usually is. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense, right? It's the the episode after the penultimate episode is the ultimate episode. (laughs) Or the ultimate ultimate? <laughs> That's a little too wordy for me, so we'll just stick to the finale. For, for there you go. Taste. Finale is better. Season finale. Season finale, go. yeah. Well, right now we're in season two, episode eight of Stranger Things, entitled The Mind Flayer. I had no idea what this was going to refer to going into this episode, but I knew that we were sort of left on a multi-level cliffhanger from The Lost Sister and then the episode before that. It just really, it made me excited to get into it. I didn't put this in my notes, but I wanted to ask you this. Because this is a series that is sort of digested, sort of intentionally back-to-back-to-back in a binge-worthy thing, do you feel like these cold opens sort of support that? Or do you feel like they support more of the spread-out approach that we're taking, or both? Do you feel like they have value in, in both arenas? Yeah, you know, I, I've often looked at these shows, especially shows that are produced for Netflix, where the predominant release strategy is drop them all at once. And I've noticed that they still produce them as if they were being released on a weekly basis or episode by episode. I don't think they strategically think about how is it going to be released. At least this show doesn't. I think they still produce the show the way you produce a show. You make it a self-contained episode. It has something to at the end to kind of get, make you want to come back for the next episode or the next week. It's funny how even a lot of shows on streaming services, especially sitcoms, I've noticed, they even have, even if they're never on television, they have little breaks where commercials would be. It's like they still sometimes yeah. work that yeah. in as if it's just part of the process of producing TV, even if it's not going to air on a broadcast or cable network. So I think they're doing what they do, which is make quality television. And regardless of how one views it, they're hoping it will work. You know, they're hoping that people who binge it will get something out of it that way. And other people that might take their time watching, or in the case of this show, I mean, the first two seasons are on Blu-ray, so people can totally watch them that way if they don't subscribe to Netflix. So it's another option for people to watch things at, at their own pace. Yeah, I look at this series in particular and I compare it to a series that released in 2022 called The Dropout, which was based on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, which I had at that time come into like knowledge about. Like This is fascinating. And of course, I'm, I'm always late to the party when it comes to those series <laughs> or those subjects. And I was asking my buddy Aaron, 
do you know who this Elizabeth Holmes girl is? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> there's a documentary, there's <laughs> yeah. a TV series, and then uh, there's a, a movie with uh, <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence. I watched it in its entirety. Well, not I didn't binge it per se, but I would watch maybe one or two episodes at a time. And those episodes began with a previously on. And I think part of that was because of the fact that it did release weekly. And that's something that I, I appreciate networks behind the paywall, these streaming services that, that take that approach. They don't do it with all of them. Right. But I know Disney is, they do that with all of their shows, Mandalorian, even what if. And so if we were doing these episodes in real time, we'd obviously be in step with, with them. We're choosing not to just because we want to be able to put more production into the actual episodes and, you know, give our listeners a little bit more, more value beyond just the hot take each week. And so we're definitely not ahead of the curve when it comes to these series, because we're talking about Stranger Things 2 several years after it's released. Uh, but I think that it's neat to see how, you know, networks obviously have to kind of succumb to commercials and weekly stuff. But I like that some of these streaming services are taking that approach where you want to recapture that water cooler thing or be able to just kind of breathe on an episode for a little bit. I think honestly, part of it is that these streaming services know because you're not committed to a year necessarily of, of paying unless you choose to do that. You can just binge and go binge and go binge and go. I think it's obviously, you know, a cash grab to keep them connected to a streaming service. But the byproduct of that is that you're getting a little bit of that recreation of the water cooler and like, Hey, did you see this episode, this week's episode of blah, 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 blah. And I, I can usually tell when they're done weekly or they're shows that are produced in a way that's supposed to be digested a little bit more spread out. You have a previously on obviously with stranger things, we don't get that. We really just for the most part, get episodes with cold opens that start right from the very end of the last episode for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because there's a sort of financial advantage to a streaming service releasing shows weekly because it gives you the sense that you're getting sort of more, you're getting something new every week. Some new content is kind of dropping every week for a show you really enjoy and get to look forward to that. But I do know people who will wait until a show finishes its 10 or 12 episodes and they'll resubscribe (laughs) to that platform, binge that season of that show if it's like the only show they watch on that particular platform. And then they'll unsubscribe again the next month. (laughs) So there's always workarounds if you want to pinch pennies and not pay every month for one of these services. Yeah. And I think, again, the benefit of the shows behind the paywall is their duration, not only in the individual episodes, which Stranger Things is starting to break that as the seasons go on (laughs) in terms of being lengthier. They're not beholden to a certain set of minutes like a network television show is, like 42 minutes, because you need, what, 18 minutes of actual like commercials. But the other thing, Adam, is that you have shorter seasons. I recently watched a series that was on FX. I don't know if it was produced specifically for Hulu, but it's obviously behind the Hulu paywall. It's called The, the Bear, and it's about this chef who is coming home to Chicago to run his brother's sandwich shop. His his brother's committed suicide or something. And so he's left this whole restaurant in shambles. He's in debt. And it's just, it's a wild kind of feel like drama, but it's only 30 minutes and there's only eight episodes. And so if I was told, Hey, this is something you should watch. And I wasn't a subscriber to Hulu, then I would just pop on 
get my 30 minutes eight times <laughs> and then be done. And I don't think you could do that if you were like, hey, Netflix has all of friends. <laughs> so yeah. go ahead and binge that. And like two months later, you're like, I'm finally done with friends after just watching it constantly. So I, I think that there's this sort of mutual respect that subscribers and networks with paywall series have for each other. I think Disney understands that in order to keep people, we're going to take this spread out model, but we're also going to provide a lot more content. Apple TV is the same way. Apple TV plus has a ton, a ton of great content. I keep it around to watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> I keep it around to watch other television series that could be good or certain movies that are only available behind the Apple TV plus paywall. I think uh, cha cha real smooth, I think is available quote yep. for free. If you're a subscriber to Apple TV Plus, otherwise you're renting it for $5, but then I'm kind of doing that every month by paying for it. There's been a couple Tom Hanks movies that have been exclusive. And it's not Apple Studios. It's Apple saying, hey, listen, we want the rights to be able to carry this for our streaming customers. And I think this is, obviously this is a larger conversation to have, uh, not for this particular episode, but I think it speaks to this really interesting time that we're living in where streaming services are sort of playing the game with the spectators of how long can we keep them around? Can we keep them for the long term? And, you know, what kind of business model can we put together? I recently subscribed to the Trifecta, Hulu, Television, ESPN Plus, and Disney Plus. I had the three, but I didn't have the TV package with Hulu. And the reason why we switched over, why? Because my wife wanted to watch Great American Family. She's a Hallmark fan. I'm a Hallmark fan. And a lot of these actors left to go to this other channel. YouTube TV doesn't have it. Right. So what did we do? Well, it's slightly cheaper to get the package that we were having with all three and not pay for YouTube television. So what did we do? We're now back to even because we're now um, subscribing to Friendly, which has Hallmark and coincidentally Great American Family and stuff like that. So it's just... It's bizarre. I mean, we are essentially living in a world where it's not about how much you're paying for television now or how much you're paying for cable. It's not about cord cutting anymore. It's really about how many streaming services do you want to subscribe to? So I think we're back in the age of it's cable, but it's cable from a lot of different places that are charging you $5 here, $6 there, $7 here, $4 there. And it just adds up. Plus, as I talked to a friend of mine from work, we talked about this. And he's like, well, I'm paying half of what I paid for cable. And I'm like, dude, are you paying for internet? Well, yeah. yeah. So then you're paying, you're paying the same amount because there's right. no way that you're doing streaming services without a high-speed internet package, which is basically the other half of cable. I would argue at the, the one big difference between the old school cable and what we're getting today with HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Hulu, Apple TV+, Disney+, etc., and Netflix, of course, is we're getting much better, higher quality content. So maybe we are paying the same amount, right? If you add it all up with internet fees and so on. But I feel like the money that's being put into these shows far exceeds what they used to be. You know, there were a handful of shows here and there that had really high production values, but most of the stuff you were getting was not anywhere near to the level that we're getting today yeah. you know with 200 million that. dollar shows like game of thrones or lord of the right. rings like these are 
not saying that they're worth that much. I'm not saying they should be spending that much, but at least you're getting something for your money if you're into that. You're, Absolutely. you're seeing it on the screen. And the other end of that, Adam, and we'll, we'll just drop right into the episode because I know that's why people are here. <laughs> but the we're going to cut this whole say, part out. <laughs> yeah, we're not cutting this out. It's good. No, I'm, I'm joking. You three people listening, I know you're loving this. If yeah. you need to skip forward, we'll try to put a timestamp in here so you can get right to the discussion. <laughs> but I will say this. I agree 100% with that, that the quality of television in the streaming side of things is so much better because of the Duffer brothers, as an example, given the freedom to tell their own stories and not being beholden to advertisers, not being beholden to Nielsen ratings, they were going to get what they got because they had a wide audience. And yes, that's it. Maybe the Nielsen's live in Netflix as well. I don't know. But what I think is really great is that because of that freedom, you do have that higher quality. But when you have a subscription service like Netflix or Paramount Plus or these others, I'm going to exclude Apple TV and even Disney to an extent, because those are the only two services that I'm aware of that don't have licensed properties of other network shows, Right shows specifically. Obviously, mm. they've, they've Apple TV has licensed movies that are distributed and produced by other studios, but I, I kind of have some respect for Apple TV Plus. Yeah, it's all original. Yeah, for it's all them, original for them. Apple TV content. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you go to Netflix and you're going to get The Office, you're going to get Stranger Things, so you're going to get this mix and match of really great stuff. The problem is licensing. And so like, yeah. if you're hearing this in 2024, The Office may not be on Netflix, but Stranger Things will. So original right. content is always going to probably be a factor, but I think licensed content for those that want to go back and revisit. Like today, I was on YouTube and for a little bit of uh, ads here and there, I can watch a little unsolved mysteries from the 1980s and nineties. And Robert I'm okay Stack. with that. Robert Stack, <laughs> man, Robert Stack. He's so great. He inspires my voice here on <laughs> unsolved mysteries. I'm going to scare you with my voice and this creepy music. I mean, that's how I felt. Anyway. And he was the voice of ultra Magnus and transformers. The movie in 1987. He was. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah. well, we'll cut it there that uh, we'll get right into the episode. So, yeah, episode eight is what we're on. And it really picks up where episode six leaves off with that giant hand coming out. At the time, I was like, is this a third creature that I'm not aware of? A Demogorgon, Demodog, and Demo teenager? I don't know what we're seeing here. It was not. It was a Demodog. But it was a Demodog that knew how to use its, what I would call its hands. Because I don't know dogs that can do this. I mean, it actually reached up and pulled itself up. And I was like, this is insane. I love this cold open because we are right into it. And I think this is something that happens a lot in the series where we're just like, there's no breath. You're just right into it. It was great. So he's, you know, the Demodog's calling his boys, this unbreakable glass that Dr. Owen's like, oh, you can't get through that. And he's like, yeah, it's, it's a definitely polycarbonate. <laughs> Carpets, yeah, it's it's not it's not going to survive. <laughs> yeah. But this is also the uh, the scene. Lots happening here. Mike reveals that uh, Will is a spy for him, as we've talked about before. Air quotes him. That's significant, apparently. Uh, my boy Adam here dropping the doo doo nuggets for me, <laughs> so I'll have to just kind of think about that as the series goes on. <laughs> and question I have for you, Adam: Joyce asks Will if he knows who she is, and he says, "Mom." But then she decides to drug him, to put him to sleep. Right, right. 
did he say it differently than she's used to? Because I think that's what she was looking for. Is he saying her, like, is he saying mom instead of mommy? Or does he have like a certain name for her? I I didn't know if that was something that, that you could enlighten me on or if that was something that I was kind of reading into. I think it's just that he hesitated when she asks him, do you know who I am? He doesn't respond like, you're my mom. Like, what do you think? You know, like he just sort of sits there for a minute until he responds. And I think, I think Joyce is realizing that if this was 100% my son, he would not have hesitated. He would have responded immediately in a very normal fashion. Just, you're my mom. Yeah. But yeah. it was enough of a, she had enough doubt at that moment that maybe putting him to sleep is a safe bet, right? It's not going to hurt him. But if there is some truth to this of him being a spy, maybe we'll just, we'll knock him out <laughs> just to be safe. Yeah. Sometimes I have trouble sleeping and I wish I could take what Joyce was giving him because he went to sleep <laughs> just like that, man. It was like yeah, instantaneous. instantaneous. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it was morphine or, or some kind of like, you know, yeah. pre-op drug, but I'm like, give me what he's having. Cause I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel, and I think that's what like Michael Jackson was taking when he died. You know, he was like having his doctor inject him with something to put him to sleep at night. Mm, so I don't know yeah. if you really want whatever <laughs> they're putting. True. Yeah. But uh, but it's, it sounds nice just to be able to like just go to sleep instantly. Yeah. It's like so <laughs> so simple. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this on the air because I might get in trouble for it. But when I go to the dentist every six months to get my my checkup, yeah. I have kind of a an inside hookup with the. <laughs> The dental hygienist, she gives me nitrous every time. Uh. <laughs> so I'm like, this is amazing. This is so good. Like, don't talk to me. You can ask me two questions, but then when I, I start feeling it, just, just do your thing because this is good. And I always feel like that's the best day of my week. I've never had nitrous because I've never had a cavity, believe it or not. I don't know how I've never had a cavity, but um, yeah, I, I've never had I broke it because you don't ones. eat candy. You don't yeah. eat candy. You're the yeah. you're the salty guy. That's whereas true. I'm like the candy dudes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Salty <laughs> snacks. Your teeth teeth are fine with them. You know they don't care. <laughs> you get Cheeto powder in there, yeah. but not a cavity, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so okay. before we get to the credits, a couple of things are going on. Bob sees the chaos on the television screens, and you know if he's not already in the thick of just what craziness is going on, this is pretty much cinching it. And then Hawkins' lab goes dark, and I was like, yes, we are in a horror movie. I love it. It's so good. Totally. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like a, Hawkins' lab has turned into a haunted house, Adam. This is what's it, happened. It, it really, th- yeah, this, this episode, at least the first half, is really like a cross between Jurassic Park and Aliens. It's like a combination yeah. of these things are going to be hunting all the humans and and a little bit of like the terminator the original terminator when Mm -hmm. they're in the police station and you just hear gunfire all over the place and people and the terminator is just coming through the hallways killing everybody and it kind of feels like that in this episode that these things are just taking down soldiers and scientists left and right and and (laughs) our heroes are just kind of hunkering down hoping (laughs) to survive i was kind of expecting the is that gonna happen but unfortunately or fortunately i guess we we don't get that because we got enough crazy goodness happening as it stands after the credits the shot confused me for about three seconds i was like wait this is a new house i don't know what the house this is and then i realized no it's billy and max's house 
and it's in the dark and there's this there's this car showing up and there's these two adults and I'm like, oh, we finally get to meet the parents, the insane peanuts parents, as I'm going to call them, because they have not <laughs> been anywhere close to being present for these children. And I totally forgot that they were even introduced at all. Like in my head, in my memory of watching this season, I did not remember what they looked like. All I remembered was that they were kind of like, you know, latchkey kids. You know, they just kind of show up, take themselves to school, you know, <laughs> make themselves dinner. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I had no recollection of who they were or what they looked like. So this was kind of funny. I was like, oh, my God, I forgot all about this. Well, and this scene was not wasted. I mean, we kind of get a no. little bit more insight into Billy. You know, we the scene kind of moves into his room and he's getting ready for a date in his own <laughs> Billy way, you know, smoking and cologne and hairspray and a little smile and a wink. He's like, yeah, I look really good. Like he's got no problems yeah. having an ego the size of, of Pennsylvania. <laughs> he, he winks at himself in the mirror. Yes. It's like, he's just totally in love with himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you notice the Metallica's uh, Kill 'Em All album I, poster I did, in the background? Yeah, that was that yeah. was cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. I think it, this is about the about the right time. This is eighty four. I think uh, Kill 'Em All released in eighty three. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. that's right. I, I trust the Duffers that they would. Yeah, they would do <laughs> their not, research. Been, <laughs> it's not. It's not like something from the nineties, like Aerosmith, so, you know, whatever right. crazy. Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that Billy's a fan. Then we get Billy's dad, and this is where we get a lot of kind of backstory. Apparently, the anger is almost justified. We know where that anger comes from. It definitely comes from his dad. Don't know what the history is, but his dad is an abuser, and he pretty much just smacks Billy for not taking care of his sister, even though Billy still insists she's not my sister he calls Billy a faggot. Wow. And he calls his date a whore who's not even there. He's just so direct about these things. And you can tell that Billy just has no power over his dad. Right. To a point where he is told to apologize to his wife, Susan. I love the way that she reacts here. Like her head is down. She knows that this is not right what's happening. And she even tries to kind of kind of temper the the moment she's like it's okay it's okay and he's like no it's not okay his dad's like no it's not okay man i i felt uncomfortable in the scene adam i thought yeah uh i need to get out of here i need to go yeah. to the woods with the rest of the people because this just got really really uncomfortable really fast yeah and i have to say you know up until this point we kind of look at billy as you know as a jerk you don't like him. He's a bully, you know, and after the scene, you can't help but have a little sympathy for him and sort of saying maybe, he, you know, he's a product of his upbringing. So yeah. if, his, if you had somebody as hard as Neil, his father, on, you know, on you all day long like this, I can see why he would then like transference. He's, he has to do the same thing to his sister or to the kids at school, like to the, the kids in his gym class, right? He has to take out his anger and what he's getting piled on him onto other people. And yeah. not that I approve of that, but it's it makes sense that a lot of times people who are like this don't have good home lives, you know, and there's yeah. there's a reason for it. Yeah. Um there's a phrase hurt people hurt people. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of apropos here. Yeah. And the the scene ends with him crying, which I think creates a a new level of vulnerability. And 
I don't want to say that I was surprised at this. I mean, obviously that anger came from somewhere. I, I know at one point this season, I mentioned maybe he's working for the government and maybe he's just like <laughs> under some kind of like weird spell that makes him angry all the time. But I was also inclined to believe, okay, there's some home life here. There's an intentionality to the fact that we have not seen the parents all season. Right. And I don't know if we're going to see them again. I mean, we don't see Billy again in this episode. I don't think he even shows up. No, no, he doesn't. Yeah. We're, that, yeah, we're assuming that because his parents are mad that Max has, is gone, that her window is open in her bedroom, and clearly she ran off, and Billy thinks that maybe she went to the arcade. But yeah, he's now tasked with going out into the night and finding her. So I, I can imagine that at some point they might meet up in a future or I should say the next and final episode, because this, as we just said, he does not show up in this episode. <laughs> yeah. So we can assume that. I mean, yeah. knowing what you know, I'm going to go ahead and just say, yes, I believe yeah. this, even as a person that doesn't know what's going to happen next, he's probably <laughs> going to show up. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the railroad tracks is where we find, I guess the rest of the gang you got Steve and you got Dustin and Lucas and Max, Lucas and Dustin kind of have a little argument about Dart. Dart ate a cat. No. What? No. What are you talking about? He ate Muse. Muse? Who's Muse? It's Dustin's cat. Shape! I knew it! You kept him! No! No! No, I... No, I... He missed me. He wanted to come home. Bullshit! I didn't know he was a Demogorgon! Oh, okay? so now you admit it. There's some hostility here. Apparently, yeah. the rule of law has been broken, so we're getting back to that fellowship. Yeah, they both accuse each other of breaking this rule of law. They have the most, I would say, tense relationship at least thus far in the series it seems like lucas and dustin are always sort of at odds well yeah and i think that kind of is set up really well in the first season when it comes to are they going to follow l where are they going to go and i think it has to do with the fact that they both just have different approaches in how they're going to do things now their motives yeah. are really more amplified here but I think that same kind of tension is there because they both are looking at the situation and are trying to do what they think is best. And it, it's not to become superior to the other person. It's just that they both feel independent and they both are coming at it from different ways. Lucas yeah. is very much more militant and more strategic. Well, I say strategic. They're both strategic. But I think Dustin's is more kind of gunslinger, shoot from the hip kind of approach, whereas Lucas is like, I'm going to get prepped. I'm going to have the right kind of equipment. And that's personified in the first season for laughs where you have Dustin who brings the snacks. And I'm still in favor of that. I think that's a very <laughs> vital thing to do. <laughs> you know, contrasted against Lucas who's bringing the, the walkies and he's bringing the, the slingshot. All, and yeah, all the, the gear from Nam. All the gear. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. They're, they're clearly different personality types. And that's going to happen when a group of friends at this age get together. They're all developing who they're going to become personality wise. And they're not all going to be exactly alike, even if they're friends. And so that's going to, there are going to be things that cause those personality types to clash. And this is clearly one of them, but it's, it's also a fun scene because there's a lot of interesting dialogue with, with Steve as well. And he kind of, in this episode, I have to say he, he comes off a little dumb, <laughs> But he does in a lot of episodes, but I just still love him. I still think he's such a, a nice guy, and he's I love that he's there. There's a great moment where Dustin's sort of explaining how Dart was molting and growing bigger as a result, and I love that Steve's just like... He's molted three times already. He's molted? Molted. 
<laughs> just didn't even know what malt <laughs> says malt m-a-l-t so yeah. he's clearly unaware of he didn't do well in mr clark's science class obviously <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of mansplaining going on in this episode yeah, but that, yeah. I, that I, I noticed for last. Dustin-splaining. <laughs> yes, dustplaining is what Dustin-splaining. Dustplaining, there you go. <laughs> but they need Steve in this moment, man. I mean, they they're do. all arguing. And Steve's the brawn, so he's going to do what he's going to do. And he's like, guys! And then they go off into the woods, which, yeah, that's a smart move, guys. Let's just go into the woods with all the fog, because that's where we just came from, was a junkyard with all this fog. And you know what the fog is kind of a you know proceeding or or the a precursor to a precursor to thank you i couldn't think <laughs> yeah. of the word <laughs> yeah go towards those scary sounds and yeah why not because this is a horror show and that's what you yeah. do you go towards the horror sounds that are in the woods and i'm i'm with max i'm like guys guys what do you do? don't go towards the sound but then she's in a bad pinch there she's like well i'm not gonna stay here by myself <laughs> like that. But in their defense, I would say, and I'm just thinking about this now, that they believe that they're the only ones, and they probably are, in Hawkins, that are aware that there are now Demogorgon dogs on the prowl. And so they probably think that they're the only chance the town has (laughs) to stop them, because everyone else is going to be caught completely off guard. At least they know something about them and how to defeat them. Or they hope they can. So they're crazy brave, as they say. It's uh, <laughs> a little little brave and a little crazy. And that little inclination from Steve kind of allows Lucas to know or to see that all the Demo, Demo dogs, they haven't been called that yet. They are called that in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> they are headed towards Hawkins' lab. You know, all right. the fog and stuff is headed that way. And that's what leads us back to Hawkins' lab with the adults, I guess you could say. So you've got this great yeah. division of like adults with a couple of kids, and then you've got right. all kids with no adults. Steve is the oldest, you know. And Steve, yeah, and he's not, not an saying adult. Much. He's not, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know what molting is, so he's not an adult in my book. I love this whole bit with this conversation about BASIC, the, oh, the programming language. If you want to unlock the doors, you have to completely reboot the computer system and then override the security codes with a manual input. Fine. How do I do that? You can't. Not unless you know BASIC. I don't know what that means. It's a computer programming language. All right, teach it to me. Shall I teach you French while I'm at it, Jim? How about a little German? <laughs> so, it's really funny. And I feel like Hopper clearly has no idea what he doesn't know if he thinks right. that you could just teach it to me. He, you know, he has no concept, especially here we are in the early, mid-80s. Most people over 30 at this point would know nothing about computers, far less than people would today. So it just wasn't something that most people would be exposed to in any way unless they were working at Radio Shack or part of the uh, the Hawkins AV Club, things like that. So. Jim just doesn't know what he's even getting into here. He doesn't have any clue. Yeah. And so that that gives us the opportunity to see Bob becoming the superhero. Yep. He says, quote, I got this. I will just say this up front. I could not do any of this at all. No. Nope. I am Dr. Owen, and I'm willing to just <laughs> die. Okay. Because all this stuff gave me anxiety when I was watching this. Like this whole sequence you alluded to Jurassic Park. This is Jurassic Park. The guy yeah. that has to go turn Powers on the power. Out. Yep. Yeah. And it's just like, no, I'm going to stay in the control room 
and just watch you hopefully not get eaten or or whatnot, Bob. But Bob, Bob steps up to the plate. And what I think is great is that while that whole set of dialogue with Hopper not knowing about basic is played sort of for laughs, I was laughing at that. In the same way that Steve, you know, kind of being a little absent-minded, Hopper gets his moment too. He shows Bob how to use a gun, and he says, All right, you know how to use my... No? Safety on, safety off. Point, squeeze. Point, squeeze. Easy peasy. And Bob says his superhero line, Easy peasy. He is a superhero in my book, man. He is. No, he is. I mean, he's, again, crazy brave, especially after everything that they were hearing and seeing on the video monitors, because they were seeing these animals just ripping soldiers to shreds. I mean, they're firing automatic weapons at them, and they're not stopping. So it's kind of like, even though he has a gun, it's like, is that really going to help you in a pinch? Probably not. It's not not, after what you've witnessed on the the, the monitors. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the... The flower mouths themselves were probably uh, deflecting yeah. the bullets. I don't think anything's going to stop <laughs> right. this, 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 uh, this crew of upside down creatures. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Bob takes it in strut. Now, now, granted, and this is, I think, a, a testament to Sean Astin's performance. It's not like he is completely panicked and just completely like frozen, but he's not nonchalant about it either. I mean, his acting is like this balance of cautious and fearful and confident and like, look, I've got an idea. I can do this. And I just love seeing him go through this whole sequence because it's like, he feels like the everyman. He doesn't have a gun. I mean, he has a gun in his hip, but it's a gun that he doesn't really know how to use. He's not a cop. He doesn't have this experience, but he's also not this timid guy. And I don't think it's because he's just now getting this. I think he has sort of shown this to us and it's his, I think, value for this family, value for Joyce, mm-hmm. value for Jonathan and for Will, that he wants this, I mean, he wants to protect this family. Like, he really deeply cares for them. And I think that all of this is on full display throughout this whole sequence. Yeah, and he's definitely running on adrenaline. I mean, he's sweating heavily. and he, But, you know, he knows that this is their only chance. They either will die eventually by being trapped inside because the... We didn't mention this. The building, because the power is out, they're basically locked in. Like everything's, you know, electronically locked. So there's no way for them to exit the building or the outside gate or anything if they don't get the power back on. So I think he just, he's in that moment where he realizes either I do something, I'm the only one that can do it, or we just wait here and die like Dr. <laughs> Dr. Owens. <laughs> just sitting here and hope that they don't see or smell us in here. And uh, yeah, and in that Jurassic Park analogy... I was kind of waiting for Bob to look through the dark for the switches and to see an arm hanging off of one of the uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel L. There... Jackson's arm. <laughs> <laughs> there were several moments when as he's walking through and there's lights flickering, this is just a testament to good cinematography and the production yeah. design that we've we've heaped loads of compliments on. I was waiting for like either dead bodies to be flickering in the background when the lights come on and off or to see a demo dog just sort of, you know, flailing about just loosely. I mean, I I was just like gripped with my fists. Totally. It's like white knuckle edge of your seat storytelling here. And it actually kind of makes sense though, because they say that this room is, I think three floors down 
where he has to get down to. And it makes sense that all of these demo dogs would have went up because they're looking for Will. They're if they're all connected, they want Will. They want to make sure that Will is, I guess, is part of the hive mind, if you will. So I think that as he went down, he was probably safer <laughs> down in the sub basement. But when he came back up, that's when all of the the demo dogs were kind of looking for a way out. Yeah. So that's yeah. where the, the danger really lies. So all this is going on while outside we get reconnected with Nancy and Jonathan. They're coming up to the gate in his rustmobile and they're trying to get into the lab, but the power's off. And then this is where they connect with Steve and his people. They're coming out of the woods. So there's like this kind of culmination of most of the major cast sans Billy. <laughs> right. I'm considering him somewhat part of the cast because he's and this shown up kind of happened in the first season too yeah we had the same type of you know, all the threads kind of merge at, right towards the end of each season it feels like yeah so bob gets the power back on you know doing his superhero stuff he is so fast with basic like you can just see him <laughs> typing and like all these lines are coming out and like that's that's that is superhero i think there is a hidden superpower in the ability to type more than like 200 words a minute i mean that's pretty fantastic there's a great shot where you can see the screen and the you know the code in his in the ref, a reflection in his uh, yeah in his eyes, which I thought was really really well done. Yes, and watching how he just he knows where to look, he knows how to activate stuff. It's just like you're familiar with this tool, this keyboard. Like this is where he is the most comfortable. And while he's doing this, there's such a great kind of contrast. You know, the the kids are outside, Dustin like pushes Jonathan away or Steve away from the button to get the gate open. He's like, let me try it. Let me try it. And <laughs> it's such a great kind of moment of levity where it's like, as he pushes the button, Bob turns the power back on. He's like, Hey, I got it. <laughs> I got it. Hey, so Joyce Hopper and will, they are able to sneak out and they get through right. the front door. And now we're left Assuming that everybody in the lab is dead, <laughs> besides yeah. Dr. Owen and Bob, they work together to get Bob out of the lab. And this is, again, another scary moment because you've got this guy with eyes in the sky seeing these demodogs kind of coming around. And he's saying, dude, there's a closet next to you get in it. And he's like, what? <laughs> like, I wouldn't be saying what. I'd be like, I'm getting in the closet now. <laughs> I'm just getting in there. I just want to add that he left his gun on the counter next to the computer terminal. So in a hurry, he ran out of there with his flashlight and, you know, the walkie-talkie. But he did not bring his gun. I did not notice that. Yeah. I don't know that it would have helped him. No. Knowing what I, we know I, now, for sure not. But I don't know that he would have been able to comfortably aim with confidence, right. like boom, 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 boom. Man, I'm in that closet with him. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm holding my breath, Adam, because I'm like... And so, <laughs> and the shadows <laughs> under the closet door are so great. The way they build tension, the way it kind of moves and kind of slides under the door, that it's just really amazing. Like that's great tension building. You don't even have to show the monster there. You just show a shadow and some great sound effects, and it's so much more powerful than even showing the creature. Exactly. Something else that I noticed is that we alluded to this. When we were talking about Hopper in the tunnels, there's that mm -hmm. blue light that we see. But in reality, Hopper is just kind of walking around blind. And I'd like to believe that there's a similar kind of 
lack of light in the lab. Now the powers come back on, but the way it looked, I mean, this place wasn't really lit up very well. So you've got Bob who's being led around by Dr. Owen. He's telling him he could go left, go right. Like he's in a maze. Yeah. So I just tried to, I said, I tried to, I didn't want to put myself in his shoes, but I did because I wanted to be fully immersed into this episode. That would be really, really challenging for me to walk slowly enough not to make noise or a lot of noise. Right. And to just slowly walk toward an exit. Like I would be booking it, but I know that I would probably run into a wall or I would make noise much like Bob did when he leaves the closet. And of course the broomstick falls. I thought this was really interesting. The way that they did this, it was done in slow-mo. I, I didn't expect that. And I thought it kept the tension really nice Yeah. as opposed to just letting the thing fall and giving the sound effect and then having just a fast edit of him running towards the door that tension leading up to it in slow motion, I thought was a really interesting choice. Yeah, you know, I, I agree. And that's probably how Bob was experiencing as he noticed it starting to fall. He's like, oh no, you know, kind of. And then it just, in his mind, it probably felt like it took 60 seconds to fall because he knew how bad that was going to be. <laughs> he knew that as soon as that thing yeah. hit the ground, those creatures were going to here and clearly sound is the thing that they sound and perhaps smell because they don't really have eyes that we can see so sound is the is the key to their uh their senses their their ability to sense and find their prey yeah and they hear him and he takes off yeah. and he gets through the doors i know and he looks back at the doors and i'm like run bob run yeah. and i my heart broke before it even happened adam i was just like you should have kept running Yep. <laughs> and Bob is dead and he's I being know. eaten from the inside out. And I clearly remember watching this and texting you saying, I hate you. <laughs> I remember like, this too. Yeah. It's like, why? And I remember I wrote like, what, what, why, what just happened? I knew exactly what happened, but I didn't want to say anything in case it wasn't what yeah. I thought you were talking about. I didn't want to I said, give if, I said if Bob dies, our friendship is over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so clearly I got over it since we're recording well, that's this episode. My, one of my questions for you is, did you have any inclination that Bob was going to die? Or did you feel that he was a new character that was in it for the long haul? Like going into the season, what was your, your take on, on his character? I think personally, because I fell in love with him and I saw how deeply he cared for this family, that he wasn't mm -hmm. just this kind of fun boyfriend. Like he really did show how deeply connected he was to Joyce and her family. I thought he was going to be a long-term character. I thought, okay, We've got several seasons to go. We've got a few seasons to go. Yeah, I could see his relationship with Joyce fleshing itself out. Maybe there's some more fun tension with him and Hopper. You know, they've developed a friendship here. So when mm -hmm. that happened, it was really surprising. And yeah. the fact is, I watched this and I'm like, this is not a question mark. Like, this happened. It's not like Barb in the first season. Right. We're like, well, maybe she's alive. I mean, she got pulled into that pool, but, you know, we don't see a dead body. <laughs> right. No. That scene ends with him having his entrails pulled out like it's spaghetti. Like these demodogs are feasting on him and he is not moving and he's no. not coming back. He is not coming back from this. It's pretty gruesome. <laughs> yeah. I was legit sad because he's a character that I really enjoyed watching. And after I mourned, I started thinking, hmm, so Bob died. 
Barb died. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I think that the Duffers have it out for people whose names start with B. Because Barb died, Bob died, and our friend from the very first couple episodes, Benny. He died. And Brenner. And Brenner. Okay. So here's what we got. Our active characters that are alive right now that start with letter B. There's one. His name is Billy. Yep. And now you've got him crying in front of me. And I'm like, well, now I don't want him to die. So <laughs> do we know what are Steve's ex-friends' names? Do they start with B? Because that's fine if they die. You know, is it? <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> remember. But Brent and yeah. Bailey. No, I think you're, uh, you're clearly onto something here. And I will just say <laughs> that you are not the first to point out this so uh, interesting coincidence. But yeah. yes, uh, as we progress through the series... There may be other B characters. There's a kind of a running gag actually now that if you're new, if there's a new character in a new season of Stranger Things that begins with B, that they're kind of like in Star Trek, the red shirt crew members. The red shirts, yeah. Yeah, like you can expect (laughs) at some point they may not survive. (laughs) I'm not getting attached to anybody with the letter B. Yeah, they might uh, spin things around though and do the opposite and just to throw us off in the future. Yes. But That's but it is interesting. Is is. It can't it's be a, it, it, the question I have is is this just a coincidence or is it some kind of like little inside joke? You know, like we named all the characters that die. They all have a B, you know, in the beginning of their first or last name. It's yeah, it seems like a little more than a coincidence at this point. So uh, you know, maybe started off that way, kind of yeah, as a joke, and they're like, oh, let's let's see if anyone picks up on this. I mean, if we're going with the last name too, Buyer. So oh, I mean, Byers, somebody yeah. from the Buyer family going to die? Sort of dies. Yeah. <laughs> See. Oh man. We're probably missing somebody else too. There's probably some uh, minor character that we haven't. I mean, Benny was a pretty <laughs> small character. He had a big heart, though, man. He yeah. let Ellen. He gave her ice cream, French fries, <laughs> French fries, curly fries. <laughs> definitely I'm yeah, hungry. those are the best ones right there or crinkle cut <laughs> crinkle cut's my number one followed by the curlies yeah but uh what about waffles so, waffle <laughs> uh, no i don't really like waffle I mean, those feel a little bit like that's just too much fry i need i need some kind of like a smaller if, i i like like that. a cajun waffle fry have you ever had those those are pretty good they have a little more flavor to them well the flavor i don't mind i mean i, I mean i put cajun whatever i just i don't think i like the presentation <laughs> of the of, of the, the waffle of the fry because i feel like i'm sort of getting cheated like if you go to chick-fil-a and you get the fries yeah. and like it's waffle fries and so at a sonic or a mcdonald's or something you're getting like what you feel like like 45 or 50 fries here, whereas at Chick-fil-A you're getting three because it's waffle fries. Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm done already? This is a cheat. What is up with that? Did I have to and it's all it half? It's all yeah. air in between those fries. It's all space. Yeah. Could have been yeah. fries. It's like, it's, the 3D, it's like the 3D Doritos. We know what you're doing. You're just providing <laughs> yeah. air. That's all it is. Yep. <laughs> giving us less Dorito. <laughs> yeah. Always cutting, yeah. Always cutting corners. Yeah. Always cutting corners. This is an interesting place in the episode to make a transition. I really felt like if the Duffers wanted to, they could have left it there and they could have added another episode to this. This whole episode felt like kind of two mini-sodes because you had a beginning, middle, and end to this first part and then a beginning, middle, and end to the second part. And clearly there is a cut. There's like a distinction of separation. Oh, yeah. It fades to black. It like completely fades to black and fades up again as we show 
the buyer house again. It's a very distinct kind of intermission, if you will, in the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I had to kind of collect myself for a little bit. I put the little pause yeah. button on. I was like, listen, am I, am I ready to do this? Am I ready to finish? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Take a deep breath, Patch, because this is... This is getting real now. You gotta gotta take care of it. So, <laughs> yeah. So the episode continues, and now we're back at the at the buyer house, and there's a definite somberness to to what's just happened. Everyone else escapes. Uh, Will's asleep. Jonathan's talking to him. I love that this isn't really the focal point of the camera. That it's really just sort of part of the passing through of like what's what's everybody doing. Jonathan's just yeah. confessing how he should have been there for him, and. Um, then the gang really just tries to regroup. There's just lots of little quiet moments. Yeah, calm before the storm, if you will. Mm -hmm. Before the next storm (laughs) that we know is coming. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Hopper's comforting Joyce. I like that there's no dialogue here, that he just sits there with her. Like, he doesn't need to say anything, and she doesn't need to hear anything. Mm -hmm. And then we get back to... Mike, who I think is doing his best to sort of find the silver lining we find out that that Bob was actually the founder of the AV club that he petitioned for it, that he raised money to get the first set of equipment. And everybody's like, wow, he really was like this cool guy that, yeah, that Clark, Mr. Clark learned a lot from, from Bob. You know, if, if there's a way for Sean Astin's character to come back, I hope it's in a flashback. I hope it's in some way that maybe we get some of that pre exposition of, of him because I kind of want to know more about him. I mean, he's done enough to become a hero for right. for this group, obviously, but it just kind of makes me more intrigued to find out more about Bob because, yeah. well, you know, he wasn't with us for a very long time. Choose to, uh, if anyone chooses to look for it, there is a uh, a Dark Horse comic miniseries, I think four issues. And I think it's also in graphic novel form now where it's post-season two and it's about the kids uncovering like a treasure map in the AV club that was hidden and it was something that Bob created and it, it, they don't know what it's for, but when he originally founded the AV club, he made this map and it's kind of a bit of a nod to the Goonies, you know, Sean Astin find the, yeah, they find yeah. the map in the attic. So the four kids find the map and they have to kind of go on a mini adventure, very low stakes, but to kind of figure out, well, what, what treasure or what did Bob hide that we, need to find and it's just a fun little you know bit of character development like you said we get a little more about bob's backstory and about what he left behind so there's some good uh comics and novels out there that can flesh out some of this stuff that we have that we you know we get hints of right but we don't really we don't know too much about yeah check it out (laughs) i i will i'm wondering if it is part of that package that you sent me i haven't looked very closely because i don't want spoilers but yeah. I'll have to, I'm going to take a look. I'm going to take a look just, just briefly. I'm going to take a look. Yeah. But not, not too closely that things get spoiled for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he's on the cover. So if it's not, if he, there's a great illustration of Sean Astin on one of the covers. So if it's not, you don't see that, then it's not in there. Okay. So. I'll, I'll make note there visually. And if it's not, I'll have to I'm get it to you. <laughs> Please do. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about my post Stranger Things reading. <laughs> right. I've got in this big box of stuff that Adam sent me. So yay for that. This next set of dialogue, I guess this writing is, is really top notch. Uh, we get a lot of more good information. They're all sitting around the table and Dustin is really mansplaining demo dogs. This is really where we get the first instant of the name demo dogs. Demo dogs? 
Demogorgon dogs. Demo dogs. It's like a compound. It's like, it's like a play on words, you know? Okay. It's like it. I love how he puts his hands together to sort of visually say it's a it's a compound word, you know, like right. <laughs> she's not stupid. Okay. <laughs> he knows what it's she's like doing. those old Sesame Street bits where it's like they would put two <laughs> words and they like slowly they would go together and they would say like Demma yes. dog. Demma dog. Demma dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. And she's looking at him like, stop, stop. I, yeah. I know what you mean. Okay. Like, I got I it, it like 10 minutes ago when you started <laughs> explaining it to me. Yeah. <laughs> but then we get that kind of um, explanation that his, air quotes, army can be taken down if they attack him. And this is where we get the title of the episode by Dustin, along with a hilarious set of dialogue between him and Hopper explaining what a mind flayer is. The mind flayer. What the hell is that? It's a monster from an unknown dimension. It's so ancient that it doesn't even know its true home. Okay, it enslaves races of other dimensions by taking over their brains using its highly developed psionic powers. Oh my God, none of this is real. This is a kid's game. No, it, it, it's a manual. And it's not for kids. And unless you know something that we don't, this is the best metaphor. Analogy. Analogy. That's what you're worried about. Fine. But an analogy for understanding whatever the hell this is. Okay, so this mind flamer thing. Flayer, mind flayer. What does it want? <laughs> and it's just just this whole back and forth stuff. Yeah. Um, Steve thinks he's actually getting Dustin's explanation of <laughs> what... What... Yeah. what what is referred to initially as the mind flamer. And yeah. Dustin has to correct, has to correct Nancy. As I said, Steve's a little, you know, he's not doing too well this episode. He's getting a lot of things wrong. He's just totally out of his element, but I still love him. You know, can't help it. But he has, he has a moment here. He says, yeah. you know, he, he, he's, he's starting to get it. What does it want? To conquer us, basically. You know, it, it believes it's the master race. Uh, like the, like the Germans. Uh, the Nazis. Yeah, 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 the Nazis. Uh, if the Nazis were from another dimension, to totally. Uh <laughs> so there's yeah. And he's like, like, yeah, yeah. And so I think <laughs> Dustin, I think I think he's affirming him. I think he's saying you're you're sort of getting it. But let me kind of expand it a little bit to more of a kind of interdimensional comparison yeah. here. It's just so much fun. There's a great shot where they show the Dungeons and Dragons monster manual. They kind of zero in on the mind flayer's description, and it's what they call like the stat block for the creature, you know, in the game. And it's actually a creature I've never I, I play, but I've never encountered a mind flayer before. And I was kind of looking at it, it was like, what would I have to be up against? Because I one of my characters is a is a wizard character, so he's all magic. And so it says it has a 90% chance to resist magic. So I was like, I'm thinking, I don't want to encounter a mind flayer because I'm dead. Yeah. That's like a yeah. one in 10 chance <laughs> that my spells would work. And wizards are so squishy. Like if they get hit, they're dead. <laughs> so if they can't use their magic, they're done. So just yeah. a little D&D geeking out here. Is this your character, Ricardo Montalban? Ricard? Is that no? Is no, it's a different. That's a different one. I, that character's uh, done. Uh, that's Ricard. He was a Ricard. That's right. Ricard was a uh, was a ranger. My newest oh, okay. character is uh, a, a, a what they call a magic user. He's actually technically not a wizard yet. He's learning to become one. Oh. So yeah, there's like different terms that they get as they level up, and eventually you okay. become a full wizard. And he does have a spell 
called Dimension Door, which is what I would have to use if I encountered a Mind Flayer. It, it's essentially you just teleport your, your butt out of there and get to safety. <laughs> you just, like, retreat. <laughs> it's a pretty good, just, yeah, good, good way to get out of a... But it's only for you, so you're kind of leaving your party behind. So it's really not yeah. good to use either. <laughs> Very selfish spell. That you should, like, deuces. I'm exactly. the deuces spell. I'm out of here. So your party's not going to be too happy with you if you just kind of disappear to another room or something. Yeah. I think I'm with Nancy. I'm going to keep calling it the Mind Flamer. I think that's a better name. Yeah, the Mind Flamer. <laughs> <laughs> well, after much arguing between the kids and Hopper, Joyce comes in and she says she wants to kill it. And this is yeah. not inconsistent with her character at all. I mean, she's from the very beginning after having that conversation with Will has been like, I'm not going to settle for anything less than just killing the crap out of this thing. And Mike gets a really good idea to use Will as a reverse spy. He says he can't yeah. spy if he doesn't know where he is. I had a little bit of trouble picking up on this at first on my first kind of viewing and started to get it as the episode went on. But I thought that was a really cool idea of them taking the shed and just really kind of revamping it in a way that didn't look familiar to, to Will and right. then, you know, cutting out all the lights and stuff like that. So I thought that was a really good idea. Good job, Mike. Yeah. They kind of did a Dexter approach. This kind of covered it with <laughs> not with plastic sheets, but you know, with, with like old tarps and I don't know. It's like all kinds of weird stuff. They were just like staple gunning to the wall, you know, to the sides of the shed and just trying to make it not look familiar. Yeah. And, one of the questions I had for you, Adam, was as they're going through this montage of putting this together, I'm thinking about the people that actually developed the set, the people that are actually building the set. Sure. Yeah. And I wonder from a production team standpoint, maybe with the cinematographer and the director, do you know how they would go about actually like shooting that? Like, Would they show them in pockets, putting stuff up, and then separately you'd have the production team actually building out that set for like wide shots? Is that kind of how it would work? I think every team will do it differently. I would imagine that they would build the, the production design team would build out the set, achieve what they want to achieve visually. And then the cinematographer will come in with his lights and try to create atmosphere visually using lighting and shadow you know kind of the in this scene in particular it's a lot of the kind of chiaroscuro approach of like in painting where it's that contrast between light and shadow that you see in this room because they just have a very they have a few lamps that they have kind of strategically placed shining down on will's body and they're kind of behind everyone that's talking to him as they kind of interrogate him so i think they just yeah they, it's all really about the lighting i think any set can be made to look interesting if it's well lit, if you compose the shot well, and also if you, you do some post-production color timing, you can kind of make everything look really interesting on film or yeah. TV. I just, I, I look at that and I, and I know, I think I know that they're not actually letting the actors build the set. So when people are putting up sheets and things that we'll see in the background, they're doing that independent of the production team that actually builds that out for the wide shots. I mean, this is why things are not right. filmed in sequential order necessarily, because when you deconstruct a set, like when Hopper's <laughs> double wide is pretty much torn up by himself at some point, you can only do that once. Like you can't say, all right, let's go do that again. Let's put everything back to the way it was. But for something like this, where they're building something, I would think that if I'm the director, I'm like, okay, 
which shots do we want to capture when we storyboard? We want to make sure that we're getting Nancy and uh, Steve together, putting stuff up, or when we're doing hard cuts of like them putting tarps up or putting the lamps out and putting wires down, we're going to show those first. And then we're going to say, okay, guys, based off those storyboards, let's make sure that these stay in place if they're not already. And then let's build out the rest of the scene. So I was just kind of wondering if you had any kind of, from your experience as a producer being on film, short films or whatever, if those types of things were really thought about from a director, cinematographer and production team, or like, how do we do this in yeah. order that makes sense for shooting? Yeah, I think it really depends on if they knew in advance that any of those shots of them building and constructing the scene, the set, if you will, if any of those shots would be featured in any way, or if it's all going to be kind of in the dark and the shadows are out of focus in the background, if that's the case, which I think it is for the most part, you don't really see too much around Will after the fact. In terms, You don't see much of the walls. You don't see everything's really just kind of out of focus or, or pretty dark in this space. So I think that they have some, they can take some liberties in terms of what they're showing the sure. people actually doing. And if that doesn't look exactly like what, ends up being constructed by the set builders that that's okay because you're not really featuring the set you know in the shots it's really just a backdrop for yeah the drama and i would imagine the same stuff applies for like earlier in the season when joyce is putting up all the pieces of paper that will is right is drawing where you've got a specific set that you're designing and everything has its place but for these smaller shots where they're showing them putting them up they're just showing these tight shots that may not even be on that set or they may be a right. completely different part of the house they're like hey we need to show her dramatically putting this up on a on a wall and for that they might because it was more well lit and more featured in more shots throughout the season they may have actually taken you know polaroids or digital pictures of the pieces of paper that Joyce was putting up and making sure that the continuity person was very careful that everything was consistent with the later wide shots when it's all completed. So they do have a person, usually they're called the continuity person, that is, that's their sole job, is to make sure everything is consistent from shot to shot. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And thank you for that. That's, yeah, yeah. light bulbs off. But it's hard, like, again, I'm just guessing, because I don't know, every creative team will approach these things (laughs) differently. Right. Um, For all we know, and... This could be totally true. They could have shot that whole scene of them constructing it after they shot the interior shots of them kind of interrogating Will. It's possible. So it could have been a thing where, oh, now let's undo these tarps and you redo them (laughs) with a stable gun. And we're going to capture you doing that. You know, they're just quick cutaways. So it's very possible that they, they could do that. Yeah. Movie magic is just on full display here. I'd love to be able to talk to... The production team, the folks that are yeah. part of the set design or even the duffers and just figure out, just ask them, you know, what was the process about going through these bigger sets that you were building with intent? Like we've talked before about the set pieces in general, the backdrops that don't have a direct influence on the scene itself, right. like Murray's house or the arcade, things like that. I mean, that's in and of itself, I think, great set design. But what about the backdrops that do have those kinds of purposes like the buyer house with 
the lights and the the papers and the shed that has right. all this stuff. Those would be kind of interesting questions that I'd love to kind of pick their brain and say, how do you go about doing that? Because it's just, it's yeah. fascinating. I think it's production design on a different level because you're actually integrating the backdrop as a, another character in the story. Completely. And hey, maybe one of them will be listening to us one day. And if you are, you can email us. Yes. <laughs> DM us. At text us. Your text, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Before all this, kind of the last big push of the episode takes place, this is sort of during the prep of the shed. There are three interesting conversations that take place. I don't want to dwell on them too long, but they're paired off. You've got Nancy and Steve talking, you've got Dustin and Lucas are talking, and then you've got Mike and Max talking. And they're all sort of hinting at resolution with each other. But there's still tension by the end of each moment, which I thought was really interesting. Not just that they're paired up, I thought that the fact that we didn't really get resolution maybe speaks yeah. to foreshadowing of this isn't going to be easy. The way that we get to the end of this is not going to be easy. And and we know that. I mean, season one was that way. Season two is becoming that way. But Nancy and Steve, they're talking a bit. They don't talk about her and Jonathan. They don't talk about being broken up. They're like, hey, yeah, and that's cool. She's like, hey, that's cool that you're kind of looking out for these kids. And then we move over to Dustin and Lucas who make up, sort of, they admit that they both kind of wronged the party, but then Dustin leaves thinking that Lucas and Max are together. And Lucas's face here, Adam, is interesting because I think for the first time he's thinking, well, maybe there is something. Maybe, you know, I do think she's great. I mean, I did say that in the last episode that I like yeah. talking to her, but it's just this really interesting tension that lives in this conversation. And then the same thing for for Mike and Max, you know, Max is really kind of throwing some props to Elle, how fascinated she was, that there's a reason why. But Mike is really still kind of keeping at arm's length with her for yeah, yeah. his own reasons. And so I, I think those three conversations serve as a way to say, look, we might be at a place where we're finding resolution, but we're not there yet. Yeah. It's interesting, too, that Mike really doesn't have a lot to do this season thus far. You know, he's kind of just there, but some of the other characters definitely feel like they're getting more well-developed and we're learning more about who they are, what they like. And Mike just kind of seems a little pissed off you know, <laughs> at everybody. And I guess it makes sense. His best friend, you know, Will has been taken over by a shadow monster. His girlfriend, Eleven, is gone. He doesn't know that she's back. So he's, things, are, things aren't easy for him, but it's just, yeah, this was a, another fun, quiet moment. We get to learn a little bit more where everyone is right now before the final dramatic push. And this dramatic push is kind of kicked off with Hopper waking Will up, who is tied right. to a chair back in the house. It feels like a hospital room, like a hospital yeah. waiting room. Waiting with, room, yeah. Yeah, Dustin and Nancy, Lucas and Max and Steve in the background swinging his bat. He's ready to, he's ready to rock and <laughs> <Yeah>. roll. <laughs> I thought that was a great kind of abnormal <laughs> part of the camera pan, like, you got guys sitting there like, oh my gosh, is Will going to die? And <laughs> Steve Spector like, I'm going to get my shots with this bat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you go, He's boy. He's the muscle, as you said. He is. He is. <laughs> Absent-minded muscle in this episode. <laughs> yeah. He's the muscle. <laughs> then Will gets his interdimensional intervention, as we come to find <laughs> out. Uh, his voice starts changing. And I'm like, oh gosh, are we going all exorcist here? This yeah. is getting, getting crazy. And then the yeah. lights flicker, and Joyce starts talking to him about his birthday and how she gave him a box of crayons, not crayons, crayons. crayons. Yeah. 
I don't know what that word is, but it's not crayons. No, I know. Yeah, it's her uh, her pronunciation. But we find <laughs> out that Will's birthday is March 22nd, which I'll just say is Matthew Modine's actual birthday. So oh. I don't know if they knew that going in, but if you're listening to this episode and it happens to be close to March 22nd, wish Matthew Modine a happy birthday on on, uh, on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was their way of saying, sorry, we didn't give you more stuff to do this season. That's right. <laughs> happy, happy birthday. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, of all the dates in the year, 365 days, you could make Will's birthday. And it's the only birthday that I believe we've been told of any character, at least of the kids, they picked Matthews. So interesting. Well, maybe yeah. it's because he dies. And they're like, you know what? <laughs> if you're going to have a death day, we need you to have a birthday too. You know, celebrate right. that. <laughs> and uh, then Jonathan talks to Will. He joins in talking about building castle buyers. And then Mike reminds Will about the first day of school and how they became best friends. And while this is all happening, Hopper starts noticing that Will is using Morse code with his fingers. I thought this was brilliant. Yeah. Where yeah. we know Morse code's important because Hopper's using it to communicate with L. I didn't see this coming. I was like, this is really fantastic that you have two beings inside this body and one is dominating, but not completely. And from that, we start getting communication from will that he says here he spells that h-e-r-e first and then the group realizes that okay as long as we keep distracting will by telling him all these stories it's a really cool little montage will is using morse code and he ends up spelling out close gate and i'm like okay what is this i know there's a <laughs> gate yep. let's close it i don't know how we're going to but let's close it <laughs> and then it's uh it's all broken up with the phone yeah and he now knows where they are you know what? I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I don't know who says it, but I agree with the statement maybe he doesn't know where that is because it's not a distinct phone ring. But I think that he would know because where else would they would they be at a police station? Well, that's the I don't thing. Know, but, yeah. Yeah. Of all the places they took him, they took him to his house. So, it's kind of like he clearly is in a residential that's a residential phone. So he's close to someone's house. And of all the places, his house was the closest to Hawkins Laboratory. True. Because, you know, on the map first season. So whoever he is, in quotes, clearly is intelligent enough to kind of figure things out. But yeah. it's interesting, too, because they when the phone rang, I was like, well, who's calling them? And then I yeah. thought, oh, wait a minute. Hopper was on the phone when they first got into the house and he was talking to somebody and he was saying oh we'll send help or something like that who is he talking to i'm not even sure remember he says like i am the police i'm the chief of police yeah chief jim hopper yeah. so who was he calling was he calling someone else in this secret government group that he made that deal with to come mm -hmm. you know help out and clearly he because he says call me back at this number and he gives him the number and clearly they're calling back <laughs> So the fact that they ripped out the phone, Nancy rips the phone out of the wall. I'm like, no, no, they need to talk to those people, whoever's calling. Apparently, apparently, <laughs> she had to make a choice there, Adam. She had to say, okay, it's either this mystery person on the other end or an interdimensional being coming to attack us. So we'll just go yeah. with the phone. We'll just, we'll get rid of the phone. I thought yeah. actually, because I'd forgotten about that. I'm glad you brought that up because I thought that the first time maybe it was those mystery people. But the second time that it rang, maybe it was Will's, maybe it was him from the Upside oh. Down. Because that's, remember from the first season, that's what Joyce would, 
you know, she picked up the phone, like right, a right. poltergeist, that kind of thing. But I think it's more along what you're talking about, because I don't know that actually I'm, I'm really at a loss here. I'm like, maybe he was like testing it to see would they pick up the phone. That's, and once that's they picked up the I phone, didn't even think about that. Yeah. Boom. There it is. Right. Like the first one was real. First phone call yes. ring was real. And then once they hung up, he hears that phone. He's like, that sounds like my phone. And he uses whatever upside down powers he has to, to ring the phone again and to see if it was, if he hears it again, if it's his phone. And then once he knows, he knows. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> yeah. The mind flamer powers are in full effect. Flamer. Right <laughs> Flame on. So yeah, anyway. they clearly, they know as soon as that happens, they got to regroup. You know, they shoot Will back up with some of that good stuff. They that can go good right, stuff, to, man. right to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they all scurry back into the house. <laughs> yeah. that, that's going to have such residual effects later in life, man. He's going to he's gonna be like 35 and married and have kids. Like, let me just tell you, when I was seven, <laughs> just say no, okay? <laughs> Even if they seven, said, just say no. <laughs> or 10 or whatever it was. I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know when his birthday is, because or I do now. Never mind, I do. Sorry, March twenty second. Marcus twenty second. Let's see, who was would he be nineteen seventy? He'd be in he'd be in sixth grade. He might and be eighty three. Could be like seventy two, something like that, maybe. Okay, that would that would make him uh, twelve. Okay, 84. so when I was yeah. twelve. <laughs> Maybe he doesn't remember because he was so <laughs> drugged up as I thought I was yeah. eight. You know, I don't know what's going on. It's all yeah. a blur and slugs out of my mouth. But anyway, he's going to have some stories to tell his family. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what drugs they had if they were different back in 1984, but maybe it's like, uh, it could be just some kind of anesthetic, but, or like ketamine or something. <laughs> so, something that's or knocking them right out. Yeah. Really? <laughs> or, yeah. The, the, the size yeah. of that syringe container. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a lot of horse tranquilizer right there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It, oh man. It, I hope they know how much they're giving him because that's, you know, stuff can be, uh, they don't deadly. man. I mean, it's yeah. joy. She's just shooting him up with like, Hey, this looks like a good amount. It worked last time. <laughs> She's probably just like, it can't get any worse. My son's been taken over possessed by some interdimensional <laughs> being. So if, uh, just knock him out. But, it's yeah, just a they, bad yes. day all around. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they all kind of like scurry back into the house realizing that this is not good. That, now these demodogs are going to zero in on their location and Hopper gathers some guns. Uh, I know he had one that he took from one of the soldiers. And then I think in one of the piles of stuff, I think he just grabs a rifle that the buyer's like semi-automatic. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Because so. he attempts to give it to Jonathan. <laughs> He's like, can, That's you, right. can you use this? Do you know how to use this? Nancy's like, I can. I got this. Yeah. Because <laughs> she does. She's good at yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. So she steps in. This is such a great shot. Everybody is just sort of getting ready for whatever's going to come through that window. And right. it's almost like the superhero pose, but like for yeah. Hawkins. The Avengers. Like Cap- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the interdimensional Avengers. <laughs> so Steve's got his bat. Nancy's got her gun. Uh, I think yep. Jonathan is doing what Jonathan does best, which is comforting his mother. I think that's right. good. And that's that's what's interesting here. So you're hearing these, you've seen what these creatures can do. You're hearing them like snarling and growling off in the distance as they get closer. Half of them don't have anything. Like grab something. I mean, get a kitchen knife, get a gardening yeah. tool, yeah. something. <laughs> like I think Mike, if you look closely, I think he's holding like a candelabra. <laughs> like what's that going to do? <laughs> like, just get... Lucas has his wrist rocket. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and and if, did you notice Steve does his patented no, he does the twirl? Yeah. He's ready. Ready to <laughs> He's rock. ready, man. He's he does he is not scared of anything at this point. He's like, I might not know what molting is, but I know what a demo dog <laughs> is, and I'm gonna take it out. But yeah. he doesn't have to. That thing gets flown through the window and apparently it's dead because it doesn't move. Yeah, it looked like when he <laughs> when uh, Hopper kind of like pokes it with his gun it looks kind of like the neck had been completely twisted around or something is what i noticed yeah and then the music turns changes they turn around the door unlocks and from the ground up we get that great final camera shot of (laughs) l with her slick back hair looking amazing and mike's reaction is just absolutely priceless like it's it's like he has found joy again. Like he has been so right. dismayed all season. That's what I'm saying. He's been very grumpy all season, kind of not yeah, not getting a lot to do, right? And now finally things are looking up. <laughs> they are. And that gets us to the end of the episode where we're ready for the season finale. I had this really interesting thought, Adam. We talked a lot about these pocket episodes from The Lost Sister right. and how maybe another way to do it would be to intercut it since the Duffers really don't have time frames for their episodes. I-, I loved your idea about that. And then we talked about maybe reversing episode seven and six, where at the end of The Lost Sister, that kind of little bit that she's seeing through her projections, then we're like, oh, now we're filling in the gaps. After watching this episode, I think it would have been really interesting to have five, eight, or excuse me, five, six, eight, and then seven. Mm-hmm before we get to nine because she comes in and she's dressed so different. Like, where have you been? What's going on? That would actually make me more curious about where has she been? Because she would have been absent for at least three episodes, I think. And then we move to the lost sister. It would still be a pocket episode. It would still be something that to most people would probably still get kind of the same rating because it feels so disconnected. But I think that having her show up like that and giving us 45 minutes of like, how did we get here? Mm -hmm. How did her journey come to be? I think it would have probably been a little bit more dramatic and a little bit more effective to kind of go back and then move into what we're going to experience next with the season finale. So for me, I think episode seven actually would fit better here. Yeah. Especially because that you were kind of waiting in a way for Elle to show up at the end of this episode. I feel like after seeing the lost sister you know that she's coming back you know that she's heading back to hawkins so you're kind of just waiting well when is when are they going to reintroduce her to the group and if they did it the way you're suggesting you would not have seen you you knew that she left hawkins but you don't know where she went how long she's been gone if she's even coming back it would have made that reappearance so much more dramatic because and again she would be wearing different clothes different hair like you'd be like whoa Mm -hmm. what just where'd she come from and What's this all about? And then next episode, we kind of go back in time a little bit and we see that kind of hero's journey that she went on to get her to this place. And then we get to see the final episode where everybody is finally together. And those projections that she's seeing would be things that we would already have known about and like, oh, okay, cool. Right. So, so all that stuff feels like more motivating yeah. in that order to be able right. to say five six eight seven nine and then and it also feels like a nicer pausing point because she clearly i i read the wikipedia description and it states that 11 walks in having dispatched all the other creatures so clearly she 
killed, not just the one that went through the window, but all the other demodogs that were you know surrounding the house. So it's a, it's like a nice pausing place to take a step back. Because now the whole gang's together. It's not like a complete cliffhanger. Like the last episode really was with the claw coming up right before the Lost Sister. That was like such a cliffhanger moment that you really just wanted to go right to the next episode and see what's going to happen. And then they forced you to see this this sort of capsule episode, which again, I'm not I'm not a hater of it. I just think that the placement of it didn't quite work. And right. I think I like your idea. I really do. I think more and more I think about it, I feel like this would have been a great place to hit pause on the the events as they have been building and building and building and go back, tell Elle's story and then come back to the season finale and see how everything that she learned from that experience might help them. You know, because clearly she had her her training moments while she was in Chicago, learning to control her powers more, being able to move larger objects. So her she's back. She's stronger than ever and ready to hopefully help them close gate. (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah. And (laughs) that, by the way, is the title of the final episode, Chapter 9, The Gate. So it's all it all makes sense. And I don't think I mentioned, but. This episode and the finale are both written and directed by the Duffer Brothers. So after a little bit of a hiatus from the kind of middle batch of episodes this season, they're yeah they're back to. It seems like they enjoy handling the kind of finale episodes that where sure. all the action happens. <laughs> Different than J.J. Abrams, who likes to start things but not finish them. So right there you yeah, go. Whatever. <laughs> But he starts them really well. He does. He really does. He starts them really well and is like, drops the bomb. Okay, see you guys. Have fun. Hope I don't know how to end this. So, yeah. You guys figure it out. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that will do it on this edition of an original series. Adam, as you said, we've got the finale coming up. So please join us for that conversation. I am sure it's going to be an absolute blast. Until then, I'm Patch. He's Adam. And we are out of here.